This morning, I asked the question, what stands between you and God? What stands between you and God and being saved eternally? Or what stands between you and God and being back in the fold and the right relationship with Him? There's only one path that leads to God. This morning, if I'm standing in this spot and I want to go and someone says, I want you to stand on that corner of the pulpit, but you cannot alter in any way. You have to walk a straight line. There's something in my way. It is impossible for me to be able to get from here to there because there is an obstacle there's something in my pathway. And the only way that I can get from here, point A, to point B is to step aside and go around. But did I follow the clear, concise directions? No, I did not. John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believeth on Him or in Him should perish, and should not perish, but have everlasting life. This morning, it grieves God that myriads of people are lost. He paid the ultimate price for our sins that you and I might be saved. God wishes that no man would be lost. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. God has provided you and me a way this morning. As I mentioned just a moment ago, there's only one pathway to God. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Why? Because straight or narrow is the gate, and narrow or straightened is the way, which leadeth unto life, and there few there be that find it. It grieves God that so many are lost. Why are so many? Why are so many multitudes? Why are so many remaining in their sin? And by remaining in their sin, they'll be eternally lost. I want to offer you this morning a few
things that stand between people and God. First, I want you to go back to Romans chapter 5. In your Bibles, I hope you have your Bibles. I hope you bring them with you. And I hope you write in your Bible. I hope you underline these important passages. I don't know whether y'all know it or not, but we have a lot of young people who sit here and take notes. They show me their notes when they go out. You know, that does my heart good to know that they're taking notes and following God's ways. But in Romans chapter 5, it was read just a moment ago. I want you to go down to verse 5 with me again. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die. But yet, peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, in verses 6 through 8 of Romans chapter 5, you see who he died for. He died for you and I. When we were without the ability to save ourselves and we were totally lost, God sent his son to die for you. We owe a debt. A debt that cannot be repaid. But at least we can try. At least we can give God the service and the worship and the faithfulness that he deserves while we're here upon this earth. We're only here for a little while. But Christ died for you. What are some of the things that are in the way between God and man? Some have simply allowed the devil to snatch the word out of their hearts. You know, that seems to be the going thing today. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 19, the Bible reads, As when one heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away those which were sown in his heart, that is, which received seed by the wayside. Now we're talking about the parable of the tares here. Those who have received the word, those who know what to do, those who have heard the truth. Now you may be in our audience this morning and you've heard the truth many times. You've heard people preach. You've been to Bible class. You've heard the plan of salvation. You've heard it and heard it and heard it, but you haven't responded. But maybe there's one here who just recently responded and who has become a Christian and, and those who maybe come back to the fold. We've had many responses lately. But see, right now is when you're the most vulnerable. A new Christian, a new babe in Christ, one who has come back to the fold and turned their life around and away from sin is most vulnerable at this very point because the devil has lost the battle. And he's going to throw all those things at you that you used to enjoy before you came back to make you just, just turn back and go back to where you come from. 
He's going to give you every reason in the world not to keep doing what's right. He snatches the truth away. He snatches you away. And it's easy to allow the worldly things to get between us and God. He cunningly deceives people. He's very good at what he does. He's the prince of darkness. And he's very sly. Go with me to the book of Genesis in chapter 3. <coughs> he deceives people with his thou shalt nots, as he did Adam and Eve. In the book of Revelation in chapter 12 and verse 9, he's called the great dragon, the old serpent, the devil, and Satan, who deceives the world for a good reason. But notice in Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5 with me, and the serpent said, and Satan said, and the devil said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. That was totally in contrast and opposite of what God said, wasn't he? He said, You eat of that tree, you're going to die. The devil says, You surely not will die. Just like today. You hear preachers and your parents, young people say, don't partake in, in fornication or, or, or don't partake in drugs or don't partake in, in, in profanity and don't partake in lying and, and all these things. But the devil says, oh, it won't hurt you. Go ahead and do it a little bit. Everybody does it. You know what? Not everybody. People of God don't do it. Those who are Christians should not engage in those things. What stands between you and God? Has the devil snatched you? Has the devil hardened your heart? Is it so, so hard that we can't drill through it, that we can't get through it? We, we, need, we need something to get inside this wood. We need a drill. To break the surface. What we need to break the surface this morning of your heart so that the Word of God can penetrate it and prick it so that you would not have anything between you and God. What's going to have to happen? Is there going to have to be a death to, in your family? Is there you going to have to lose a child? Or are you going to have to develop some type of bad disease? You're going to have to have a car wreck. What's going to have to happen in your life that will penetrate your heart so that you turn back to God or come to God before it's everlasting too late? What's going to have to happen? We said Wednesday night in our Bible study that we have become too self-sufficient. We rely on our money, our material things, our popularity, all these things we rely upon to keep us elevated while we're here on this earth rather than relying upon God. What's it going to take? 
You see, I pray that none of those things come to any one person in this assembly. But I promise you, if one would lose a child or, God forbid, the first place they'll turn is to God. Car wreck to God. We'll be all over social media saying, please pray for my husband. Please pray for my wife. I don't know if they're going to make it. That's the first place we'll turn. But while everything is good, we continue to resist him. So this morning, what stands between point A and point B, A being you and B being God? What stands between you from you turning your life over to God and being the person you need to be for your family, for your wife, for your children, for the church, and ultimately for yourself and for God? The second thing, some just don't love the truth. Even to the point of despising it. And they've been deceived. Paul graphically describes such a process along with this results in 2 Thessalonians 2 in verses 3 through 15. He says specifically in verse 12 of that scripture, 2 Thessalonians 2, in verses 3 through 15. It's a good read. Study it. But in verse 12 is where I want our focus to be. He says, They have exchanged the truth for the pleasure in righteousness. Is that what it says? This way for no, this way for you. No. I hope you're looking. Unrighteousness. Things that are not right. They have exchanged their pleasure, their leshly flush, lust, their, their, their lust of the flesh. They've exchanged those things for pleasure. The truth, they've exchanged it. I want to feel good. I want to be popular. What stands between A and B? Number three, some simply love sin. Some simply just love living in sin. It's fun. Feels good. Makes me have a lot more friends because I'm going to tell you, young people, you won't have a lot of friends if you do what's right. We've got a lot of young people in this congregation. And let me tell you that. You won't have a lot of friends. But the friends you have will be the ones that are Christians and you need to hold on to. Because when you live in the way of the world, or you will for God rather, friends don't want to have anything to do with you. 
When you don't dress like they dress or act like they do or talk like they do or, or go where they go, they don't want to have anything to do with you. So what you find yourselves doing is you find yourselves as young people trying to fit in because I want friends. I want to have a lot of friends. I want to be invited to this event or that event. Sometimes it's not such a bad thing not to be invited. Remember that. But some just love sin. In John chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, And this is, our Lord says this, And this is the condemnation or judgment that light is coming to the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. We talked about that in Bible class this morning. People love darkness. People love sin. People love, love to, to not have expectations. That's why they won't get too close to the light. It reveals too much. When you're closer to the light and you're closer to God, and when you're in the relationship that you need to be with God and Christ, it reveals too much. I might be expected to do more if I come more, if I attend more, if I uh, become more spiritual. Let me put it that way. Some people just love living in sin. A large segment of our populace revel and live in unrighteousness. People around us, a lot of our population just live in sin. They live in sin. They choose to live in sin. Because it's okay by the world's standards, but not God's. In Matthew chapter 10, and in verse 37, some follow men's religion instead of Jesus. Now notice with me what Matthew 10 in verse 37 and 38 say to us. The Bible reads, it says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. You see, some follow the religion of others. It may be their parents' religion. It may be religion uh, as seen uh, in the above text there of this chapter of Matthew 11, or 10 rather. It may be the religion of their favorite, favorite theologian or philosopher or the one that they subscribe to on YouTube, or, or what they found some daily devotional off the internet. Those things are dangerous, by the way. Whoever it may be, let me tell you this morning, there is no 
substitution for the gospel and the pure gospel. No substitution. No man, no book. In him alone is salvation found and all spiritual blessings enjoyed. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Did you hear that? All spiritual blessings. It is a spiritual blessing this morning to be in this assembly. It is a spiritual blessing that we are able to sing this morning and pray and give of our means to gather around this table. It's a spiritual blessing to be in the family of God. And people without Christ, people who are separated from point A and point B, don't have those. You can say all day long, living outside of Christ, well, God's blessed me. Well, yeah, God's made everything, but he's not blessing you near like he could be blessing you. You think about all the things you have. You think about your mate, your home, your jobs, your health, your children, all of these things. Folks that come from God. He has blessed you. All those toys we have that we play with and we enjoy, guess what? You didn't get them. God gave them to you. He allowed you to have them. But I'm going to tell you what God didn't do. He didn't give you those things to put a stumbling block between you and him. He didn't do that. He would never do that. God would never give you an ability to play a sport to where you would put the sport between you and God. God never would give you anything that you, some hobby or some mate or some job or whatever that would put something between you and Him. He would never give you that. Because that would separate you. And God knows all things. Some simply, the next one, mistakenly trust in their personal morality to save them. You know what? You can be the best neighbor, the best moral person. You're against abortion, you're against drugs, you're against alcohol, you're against divorce and remarriage, you're against this, you're against that, you're against, and you stand against all these things and be just a standing, upstanding, great citizen. And with all that, without Christ and the blood of Christ, you're lost. You're lost. Good people just don't get to go to heaven. 
good people with the blood of Christ and being baptized for the remission of their sins are the ones that get to go to heaven and who live faithfully. Those are the ones. I'm going to tell you what, I, got a, I know a lot of people, a lot of friends that are good people. They would do anything for you and for me, even a total stranger. I've seen them take money out of their billfold and hand it to somebody who needed it on the spot. Good people. Without the blood of Christ and being added to the Lord's church, they're lost. We cannot earn our salvation. We can't put enough in this collection plate to go to heaven. Some trust in their morals. You know, the Bible speaks of a situation like that. Acts chapter 10. You know the story well. In verses 1 through 4. Tells of a man called Cornelius. See if this maybe fits you or fits someone else that you know. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms, much money to the people, and prayed to God always. Know anybody like that? Yeah. Good people. Believe in God. Believe there's a heaven and hell. Believes that you do good to people. Treat your neighbor like yourself. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Believed all of that. He said he saw a vision. Evidently, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thy arms are come up for memorial before me. Peter preaches Christ to him, doesn't he? But I want you to go back. In verse 4. When he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? One day, every knee shall bow, every eye will look upon the Lord. Just like he did. He knew that this was from the Lord. Every person in here today, if the Lord should return in the next hour, at the age of accountability, who has not become a Christian, who is not living faithful, and those who are living faithful 
will look upon the Lord. I want you to imagine with me just for a moment that we've, we've met that day. We're standing and, and we are on our knees. You are on down on your knees in a prostrate position and you are looking up at God and Christ. And it's kind of like that look that your parents used to give you when you'd have done something and they're like, and we as kids look at them and we say, what? What is it? The Lord's looking at you. And you know that you should have been baptized. You know you should have lived faithful. And you know you died with sin in your life. And he gives you that look. And you might even say, what, what is it, Lord? What is it? The Lord said, the Lord and our God will say, you were standing at point A, and I told you to come to point B. And there was an obstacle in your way, and you didn't remove it. You didn't remove it and come to me. So therefore, depart from me. And as I've said just the other day, there's a 100% chance that your children will be standing right beside you and your children and your wife and your husband. You just might go separate ways. Don't take that chance. What's standing between you and God this morning? As together we stand and as we sing.